Hello, my wonderful friend. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Bible study. This is another opportunity where we can uh, open the Bible, look into the Word of God, and learn a bit more about the wonderful book of Psalms. And today we are uh, continuing to to learn a bit more about these uh, very insightful uh, words from the Psalms and uh, learning that the Lord reigns. I would like to say hello to our panel. Uh, it's good to have with us today, uh, Denise. Thank you, Nick. I'm very happy to be part of this study. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for joining us. Nick, privilege to be here again. And hello, Joe. It's great to be here again. Thank you. Len, thank you for being with us. Yes, hello, listeners. We're glad you've joined us today. Will, it's good to have you with us, too. It's another thrilling subject, Nick, and I'm glad to be here. Brenton, thank you for uh, being able today to prepare this Bible study. You're going to facilitate this discussion. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick, and uh, I trust that God's name will be honoured as we uh, share this um, on here. All right. Well, um, Brenton, I will just ask you to uh, please take us through, uh, indeed, a very interesting um, uh, topic, I will say, to learn yeah. about uh, the yes. Lord. Lord, yes, the Lord reigns. Mm. Thank you, Nick. Um, just a couple of uh, comments before I ask Denise to lead us in prayer before we start our study. In my notes, I'd written, the Lord is sovereign. He created everything and rules over all. He is just, righteous, and rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked in his time. I found those last couple of words particularly relevant. And there was a thought that came to my mind as I was preparing this for our discussion today. The worth of man is known only by going to Calvary. In the mystery of the cross of Christ, we can place an estimate upon man. Before we go any further, I wonder, Denise, would you um, lead us in prayer? Then I'll give the introduction and we'll go straight into the questions. Thank you. Sure, Brenton. Happy to. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you um, offer to be with us every day. We thank you for your, the blessings that you give to us. We thank you for the Bible, where we find truth, where we find confidence to believe in you, to follow you, where we find what you are doing in the world and that you are sovereign, you are king, you have everything under control and all we need to do is surrender to you. So I pray for our listeners today, I pray for our panel, I pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us, to be guiding our thoughts and to be guiding our discussion in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And before we uh, coming back to Brenton, I'd like to just um, ask you, my dear friend, listening today, to be part of this discussion. You yes. know, you can ask a question. You may send us a text message with a comment in regard to the topic we have today, and the number is zero four eight two zero nine triple eight three. Have this uh, number handy as will come a bit later with the offer which we have for today. But don't hesitate to uh, be part of the program. Let us know where you are listening from. It will be very nice to say hello to you. Back to you, Brenton. Thank you, Nick. Um, 
What we're going to be doing today in our discussion time is having a look at Psalms 8, Psalm 75, Psalm 97, Psalm 100, Psalm 105 verses 7 to 10, and also some texts from Galatians 3, which many of our listeners would probably know very well. Imagine you've been a slave in a foreign land, in other words, Egypt, you and your ancestors for some 400 years. You live in a society where some 62 or more gods are worshipped. These gods, with a small g, Nick, (laughs) are a fractious lot, continually quarrelling, capricious by nature, and must be daily appeased by sacrifices so that life is bearable, shall I say it, even prosperous. You, however, are monotheistic, as you worship one god. A devout Jew still today repeats the Shema daily. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Deuteronomy 6.4 The God, this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, rescues you from the Egyptians and brings you to the land flowing with milk and honey, as he swore to Abraham and his successors. However, at Sinai, amid the smoke, the lightning and the quaking of the mountain at the voice of God, he gives his Ten Commandments or rules, the first of which states unequivocally, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you are not only to put me first in your life, but there are to be no rivals. This command is explicit and is not subject to debate or alternative views. In our study, we are going to investigate metaphors from the book of Psalms, and I've noted that there are 17 different metaphors, but over 500 metaphorical references in the Psalms in order to understand who God is and how he relates to his creatures. We will, however, confine ourselves to just three. God as creator, God as king, and God as judge. We'll start with God as creator. In Psalm 8, verses 1 and 3 to 6 to 9, we have a look at a psalm known as the Song of the Starry Night or a psalm in praise of the dignity of man. It's been known by both those titles. I wonder, um, Denise, would you like to read Psalm 8, 1, 3 to 6 and 9, and then we'll discuss it a little bit. Sure. I'm reading from the NIV. Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. And verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Thank you, Denise. It's interesting, just the start of what you read, the very first verse, O Lord, um, the name there is Yahweh. Our Lord, the name there is Adonai. It's personal, intimate, and just what God desires his relationship to be with his people. I wonder, uh, panel, how you feel about that. Do we ever address God as our Lord in our prayers? Lynn? Well, in my prayers, I usually address God as my Father in heaven, my dear Father in heaven. But I'd like to point something out here. Sure. The psalm begins, O Lord, our Lord, 
how majestic is your name? Mm. Now, this is interesting because God himself is majestic, but the psalm says, how majestic is your name? Now, we can't go past the fact that this actually refers, the name refers to the being. And in this case, it says, how majestic is your name, which represents your being. So when somebody mentions your name, Brenton, <laughs> we have a picture of you. Your name represents you. Yes. And the name of the Lord represents him. So if his name is majestic, he, of course, is majestic. Uh, thank you, Len. That's a good thought. Um, what can name also represent in uh, the Bible? Will you had a comment for us? Well, the name is, as uh, Len has said, his being or his character. But, you know, um, Brenton, I find it interesting that the first and the last phrases of the psalm are the same. Yes. Both of them are words yes. of praise. It reads, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the last verse, verse 9, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, I think that it's important for us not only to, not always to just have a list of requests when we come to God, but we need to praise him as we will be seeing in this series. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Thanks, Will, and thank you, Len. Anybody else got any thoughts on, on that? Nick, thank you. Yeah, just uh, while we are saying that about why it's a, the Bible says about his name, but just think of this when we talk about, because we need to have in mind the attributes of God yes. yeah. and uh, who God is, to understand who God is, when we mention even in an earthly, uh, every, everyday, you know, language, we, we think of people, for example, we want to uplift or we want to talk about somebody, let's say, you, you just need to mention Bill Gates, for example. What do you know yes. about when you say that? You don't, you may not know his character necessarily. In particular, I'm talking on earthly aspects, but you know what he stands behind. Mm. Mm. And here it's a, a, a very important thing. We know that God is the creator. God is yes. the sustainer of all things. Right. How majestic is his name. He stays behind everything. Yeah. yeah. What was it? What was another um, um, term? Oh, Joe. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was just uh, having read read the psalm through a few times. It's an what interesting one, me, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> yes. What struck me was that with this great Creator God, you know, the question is posed: What is mankind that you are mindful of them, yes, human beings yes. that you care for them? And it reminds me of when Jesus said, you know, that he's that he the God sees a tiny sparrow fall, and how much more value are you? So I think David here is feeling humbled and honoured um, that such you know, honour has been bestowed upon humanity, upon himself, to be cared for by God and crowned with glory and honour, given the responsibility for the beautiful world that was fresh from the maker's hand. 
And I guess it lends itself to a question, if we understood this, would we be, could we be litter bugs or vandals, mm-hmm. um, defacing nature, polluting the planet? Yeah. How do we look after our own backyard? Yeah. You know, would we be able to kill the creatures for fun, for food? Yeah. yeah. And I wonder how many of us have the time to even notice the beauty or the art around us. Do we sometimes get wrapped up in maybe saving the planet? Also, and not seeing the maker. That seems to be the trend, getting caught up in saving the world, but missing, missing the creator altogether. So, um, just a couple of thoughts. No, thank you, Joe. Um, it's interesting. Uh, Thank you for those thoughts, everyone. Uh, Will, going back to what you said, um, and also Len before that, it's interesting that he starts out the same way in the psalm. He ends up with the same. It's almost as though looking at the starry heavens at night and then considering man, uh, who was made a little lower than the angels, it's almost as though it's too much for him. He starts out by offering praise and he finishes up by saying, basically, if we would use today's terminology, we might say something like, I'm blown away by what God has done. Yes, Denise? I like the fact that even though man is made a little lower than the angels, God has crowned him with glory and honour and made yes. ruler over the works of his hands. Um, so we have a responsibility, not that we've done a very good job of that <laughs> when you look at what's happened yeah. to the, the world in which we live, but there's also that text in Isaiah that talks about that the earth will wear out like a garment Yes. And it doesn't mean that we can, we contribute to that, but I guess in a way because sin has affected our world, it isn't going to last forever, just like we as human beings will die, um, but we have this opportunity of eternal life. Thank you, Denise. They're, they're all very good comments. Um, I was reminded of that yesterday. In the funeral service I conducted, the young lady that had passed away was 42 years of age, leaving three children. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's times like that these things really hit home. I uh, realised looking at Genesis 1, we get a more or less a job description of what man's role was. Uh, I don't think I'll take time to read those. I think most of us know that man was put in the garden to tend and keep it, it says in Genesis 2, verse 15. So um, several of us have already touched on the fact that we're not doing a very good job of, shall we say, being stewards of God's creation. What are some of the areas that you think we could improve in? Has anyone got any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. We have many environmental scientists these days um, they're talking about pollution they're talking about uh, air pollution and the amount of carbon dioxide and methane gases in the air yes Uh, and I've been quite interested in this because of the introduction of EVs electric vehicles And I've been following this quite a bit on YouTube. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, this is the solution. This will bring our emissions back to zero or near zero. 
The problem is it doesn't work that way. It's often touted by governments and people like that that this is the solution to environmental pollution, but it's not. It actually <laughs> is probably worse. I think it takes 10 years from like the life of an EV yes. being 10 years compared to a non-EV, uh, the EV pollution of production, the making of the batteries, etc., etc., only equalises a non-EV after 10 years. Well, you probably know that lots of companies have now decided EVs are no longer practicable. Yes. It's a problem with the infrastructure. I was looking at something that happened in the US where they had a big freeze recently mm. and uh, so many You're EVs talking about can't Tesla. be charged. And, yes, it's a mess. So the, the solution is to carry a petrol or a, a fossil fuel-powered generator in the back of your EV <laughs> so that when it runs out of charge and you can't <laughs> charge it, you can see that this is a self-defeating idea. But it is true. Our planet is polluted with plastic and air pollution and all sorts of things. I just want to mention this. Sure. We are often told stuff which doesn't make any sense. And it's quite obvious to anybody with a bit of common sense that this world and the universe is running down. Yeah. When God made it, he made it very good. But since then it is running down and that's a fact of life that we have to deal with, which to me is a powerful a powerful piece of evidence to show that we have a creator God and that it just didn't happen on its own. Mm. Thank you. Will, you had a thought for us and then Nick. I thought I would ask the World Wildlife Federation that question and the answer I got was an interesting one. They say that up to 2,000 extinctions of the species, that's right down from... Uh, the higher uh, animal types, yes, right yeah. down to the the very the microbial, two thousand extinctions occur every year. Really? Yes, that's a that's an enormous figure. And oh. Sooner or later, sooner or later, a break in the chain would happen. That uh, we could say, if we didn't know the future, that would um, make life extinct on Earth. But of course, God is in control, and His plan is different. I think that we need to take seriously that uh, the needs around us and uh, care for our environment. Thank you. Uh, Nick, did you have a thought for us? Yes. Also, I'd like to just um, come back to this thought that God is uh, sovereign, that God reigns. Mm -hmm. When you think about all these aspects and politics and environmental issues, you straight away think of who's uh, there in control, you know, the left or the right, uh, in you know, or we have that tendency of um, looking to the powerful people mm. of this planet Earth and uh, 
try to argue things, you know, say, oh, they have it wrong. They um, don't know what they're doing. Instead of understanding that God is in charge of everything, God is in control. God wants us to be good stewards of this, uh, of his creation. Yes. And it's interesting that if I read uh, in uh, in Psalm 8, you know, as we start with uh, verse um, 3, which says, when I look at the night sky and see the the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars you set in place, and this is a question, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or other translation, what is man? You know, and then, uh, you know, we are called to be part of this wonderful creation. God yes. created everything around us that will function correctly, perfectly in his, as in his will, even though under this sinful nature, as you, we rebelled and we walked astray from God, God still wants us to be part of his plan rather yeah. than uh, we to come yeah. we we to come with the solutions yes. we to come with the ideas we to come mm. why not to allow god to take care of his creation and me doing my part as mm. god wants me to do and we can elaborate here it's interesting that the other day i was just listening to a program and it was just a, this discussion about the left and right you know one mm. is very pro environmentalists mm. Other ones are very pro-familists. Both of them contradict each, uh, each other. If you are envir- environmentalist, you don't necessarily support family. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and other way around. And I think this is very, very interesting that we are kind of uh, um, cutting cutting the branch under our feet. To yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Len, you had a thought for us as well. Yes. My thought is this. Does respect and care for the environment imply respect for the one who made the environment? In other words, it's a very good question. Does that imply caring for the environment uh, that you care and respect God? Yeah. Mm. I don't. I don't think it means that in every case. Some people care for the environment simply because they hope it's going to last a bit longer. But I think as one cares for the environment, it implies caring for the maker of the environment. If I I may answer that question, um, (laughs) how how would you feel that if you gave a gift to one of your neighbours and um, this is at Christmas, say, or a birthday gift, and you walked past your their bins in the week and um, the lid was open and you saw the very gift that you gave them in the bin, a trash bin to be given away unused. You'd feel, you'll feel offended. Yes. I think this is what we do with the gifts that God has given us. Yeah, good thought, Will. Just a quick thought. As you go through the Psalms, all of the Psalms, in fact, uh, they speak of great certainty and confidence and assurance and i think that's very important you know we um we live in a so-called um age of reason where 
thinking men and women, scientists of the age, are always looking for answers, yes. always searching and searching. Yeah. And uh, we have the answers, the essential answers, the important answers right in front of us. If I look to Psalm 100, one of the verses is, Know the Lord, that he is God. That's, it's a declaration, a statement. If we come to a point in our lives where we, where we acknowledge that, that God is the creator, then it makes such a difference because it answers so many questions already. It, it doesn't yeah. leave us in this, in this quandary as to, you know, where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? How do we solve all these problems that the world mm. is facing? A lot of these questions will be answered simply by acknowledging that God is the creator and sustainer and ruler, that he's got it all sorted out. We just have to exercise faith in him. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Jerry. Well, seeing you're on that theme, my friend, can you read verses 1 to 5 for us, please? Mm. Certainly. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are the, his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Thank you, Jerry. Um, there was a, a phrase that I sort of picked out here that I, I, I would like some comment from our panel on. We are the sheep of his pasture, and I've noted in my notes in what respect are we like sheep and, and how our ways, uh, this is taken from the book of John, where other sheep can hear the shepherd's voice. Jesus referred to this in John 11. He made a lot of references in John 11, the I am statements about I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the gate to the sheep, so on and so forth. Could, would anyone like to comment that we know from previous Bible studies that we've done on air or will do, uh, particularly Psalm 23, which says, doesn't it, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want um, Jerry, what, what, um, in what way are we sheep? And then I'll throw it open to the rest of the panel too. Yeah, I think that um, illustration demonstrates very clearly God's uh, loving concern for for us, a yes. shepherd. Uh, the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. I mean, you think about it. He 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 protects them. He guides them. He uh, he watches over them day and night. He knows each one of them by name. And, and uh, he recognises each individual sheep. There are still shepherds today, very few, but uh, there are. And uh, they have a very close and intimate relationship with their, yes. their sheep. You know, they, um, that's their duty. And, and sheep are completely dependent on the shepherd as well for protection and for guidance and so forth. So uh, I, I see a, a, this, this uh, intimate connection between God and his children, he calls us his sheep. And God commits himself to look after us as well, to protect us, to guide us. We are the apple of his eye. And uh, he's taken it upon himself to to make sure that we're safe. And um, it's up to us then, not only to hear his voice, but to listen to him and to follow him. 
as sheep do yeah. shepherd. Yeah, thank thank you, um, Jerry. That's um, Len. Do you agree with those sentiments? What have you? I got do, to and I want to add something here. Sure. You know, I come from a country background. My yes. father was a farmer, and we had sheep. But the sheep that we had were basically an economic asset. One or two of the sheep had names, but they were just an economic asset to be uh, used in order to make gain. But the sheep, as referred to in the Bible, as you were pointing out from the Gospel of John, the, the shepherd loved his sheep. Yes. In my case, as growing up on the farm, I never loved the sheep. They were just there. <laughs> but he loved his sheep. He did everything for their their very best, not in order simply to gain from them, but because he genuinely loved them. And God genuinely loves his people and doesn't regard us as just some sort of an asset or maybe <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. Denise, did you have a thought for us? Yes, I really like this metaphor of um, being the sheep, but it also goes back to that verse that says, um, know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us. So he knows us, um, and if you've watched sheep in a pasture, one will run off and the others will all follow. So they're just, without the shepherd, they are lost completely. They don't know how to find uh, their way back to the sheepfold. They don't know how to get water or food. So it's saying that we need God for everything. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's a very good thought, Denise. Do we as a panel agree with Denise's comment there? Mm. Absolutely, yeah. 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 I've always thought sheep are stupid animals. That's my honest opinion. <laughs> if one goes, as you say, Denise, the rest follow, and I think to myself, well, <laughs> I, I've spent time, my brother-in-law is a farmer also, Len, and he's got sheep. And um, I remember not last Christmas, the Christmas before, doing more running than I'd probably done for 10 years, trying to get part of the flock who decided they weren't going to go the way that he wanted them to go, trying to rush ahead of them and head them off so that they would go through the gate that we wanted them to go through. <laughs> So you have your moments with them. Um, Nick, you had a thought for us. Well, I'd just like to add something here because probably I'm the only one here who have an uh, ancestry, I mean, in, uh, in you know, in sheep herding. Lineage, lineage of uh, looking after sheep. And I've been myself in the woods and uh, looking after sheep and uh, all those things. Keep in mind this thought that we are the sheep of his pasture. His pasture. As, as yeah. Denise yeah. was pointing out. This is very important if you look from a background of the true, um, you know, how, how the shepherds were connected with the, with the flock. Because yeah. the shepherd will, will be very interested to find the right place where the sheep is safe, has yeah. enough food, has everything what they need for their Surviving and all those yes. things. I mean, yes. that's the relationship in between us and God. We are more in these days inclined to be self-sufficient, to provide for ourselves, 
rather than to rely on God and, and ask God to provide because he knows what's best for us. And many times, too many times, we end up in maybe having a good life in, in brackets like that, but in our own way. But that may not be where God wants us to be. Where he prepared the pasture, where he knows what he was the end plan for us. And I think this is the, the thing which we need to kind of get our head around when we talk that God is sovereign, that uh, God reigns. Uh, do we really know God? Do we really follow him? Or we say that because we are Christians for a long time, or uh, we mm-hmm. believe in God, yeah. but yeah. we run everything in our life in our own way. Mm-hmm. Does that reflect the fact that we call ourselves Christians? Yeah. Maybe if we really know the shepherd and follow him and know his voice, maybe we'll be engaged and involved in something totally different than what we do today. And this is the thing which I believe we should ask ourselves again. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. In reality, um, we have been created and often, unfortunately, we do act like sheep, particularly if we're surprised or afraid or panicked. We will do silly things and run in the opposite direction and, um, you know, to where God was willing to lead us um, to safe to safe regions, to safe pastures, but no, we want to take off this way. And sometimes a sheep is lost and therefore the shepherd goes out calling out to it. It's interesting that um, in John it says that um, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Yes. Do we know our shepherd? Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And a key is here, listen. Mm. Now, listen to my voice. Now, this is before the time of voice recognition. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, the Will sheep didn't, didn't follow the clothing, didn't follow the, the suit. <laughs> mm. They followed mm. the voice. And um, apparently it's harder for hackers to steal your voice print or your other biometrics data. And hence your identity, whereas a password can be stolen yes. um, by someone who sees it. But it's a little bit harder, isn't it, to get access. And the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. The hired hand might call out to them. Yes. You know, the thief might try and steal them, mm-hmm. but they will only follow the shepherd. So if we know our shepherd, Brenton, we won't be fooled and we won't be stolen or lost. Mm-hmm. They're good thoughts, Joe. Um, it's rather interesting. I was watching a YouTube um, last year at some time in, of all places, Turkey. Actually, it was up in the region near uh, the Ararat uh, area, and this shepherd was calling his sheep. Now, he's standing out in a paddock, and he's calling out in a loud voice, you can't see an animal, Joe, at all. There's no animal to be seen anywhere. So he calls out three or four times in a very, very loud voice because the area where he was, the acoustics were very good and you could hear the, his voice echoing around the, the hills and that sort of thing. And then I said to myself, he's wasting his time. And then all of a sudden, one sheep appears, then another sheep appears, 
And before long, you've got a dozen or 20 sheep all coming towards the shepherd. And I thought it was a wonderful metaphor, a, a pictorial metaphor of, uh, of the good shepherd. Brenton, uh, if I could just um, add something here or maybe ask you, a you question. May, uh, you may, Nick. As, as Joe was talking about uh, that very well, what's the voice of God? Because it's easy to say, oh, we just need to listen to the voice of God. Yeah, how, how do, you do know? we know which mm. is the voice of God? And can we describe in maybe in a couple of words, what is the voice of God? Mm. Well, what do you think it is? I believe it's his word. Yes. yes. I, I believe it's, it's what he <clears throat> g- gave us. He gave us his word. Do yes. we know the word? Do we know his voice? Because if we don't know the word, we can easily be uh, mistaken. Other voices, other uh, people who calling all sorts of theories and ideologies and all those things. But do we know the word? Yes. My dear friend listening today, I would love to have you a book in your hand. It's called What the Bible Says about why not to have this uh, wonderful book in your hands and learn a bit more about the word of god the word of god is sufficient you know the bible is sufficient to know but this book will guide you into maybe learn a bit more contain more than 30 bible studies and uh, we'll be very happy to share with you please mm-hmm. send us a text message to 048209 triple eight three and the code for this book it's s a b s three s a stands for south australia b s for bible study just add number three it's our um, uh, number our our offer and our um, friendly robot will take you through don't leave any space in between s a b s three and um, please uh, yeah uh, request this wonderful book which we have available for you today. Thank you, Nick. Moving along, uh, because time is uh, of the essence, um, Len, I wondered if you'd share something with us from Psalm 97 and just comment on it. It starts with this almost bald statement, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Okay, all right. Well, here the psalmist's are considering God as king. And so Psalm 97 starts out, as Brenton just mentioned, the Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad or rejoice in some versions. Let the distant shores rejoice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Now, every time we have Uh, an election here in Australia, and this occurs in most democratic countries. Yes. Those candidates propose what they are going to do. And underlying what they're going to do is the foundation of their, uh, their rule if they get into power. You know, most of the kingdoms on this earth rule by force. Yes. Just look what's happening in the Middle East. It's force. 
Look what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, its force, yes. and the involvement of some of the nearby countries. Look what's happening between China and some of its neighbours. Again, it's force. Yes. Can you prove that? Of course you can. Just see how much money various countries spend on defence. It's a huge amount. But God's kingdom is different. God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and peace. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So God's kingdom is comes from a different base. It comes from a base of love and righteousness. That's a good kingdom to belong to. Now, I've got quite a bit I could say about various kingdoms that were set up. Say, for example, when the Israelites... Uh, <clears throat> clamoured for a king, for a king yes. like the other nations. And God said, look, I'm going to give you some instructions. They were basically rejecting God to be like everybody else. God said the king must not acquire a great number of horses for himself. He must not take many wives for his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. In other words, building up himself instead of the nation. Well, one of the most famous kings of Israel was Solomon. <laughs> um, they've made some estimates of what Solomon's worth was. It was 2.1 trillion US dollars. Now, I don't know of anybody on the planet Earth now who's got no. that sort of money. No. Uh, Solomon had 12,000 cavalry horses, 4,000 stalls for his horses. Uh, during his reign, silver was as common as dirt. Every year, King Solomon received over 25 tons of gold. All those things that God warned when you have an earthly king, uh, warned about you shouldn't have a king like that, happened. Yes. I know God blessed Solomon, at least in the initial stages. But God's kingdom is based on love and righteousness. If only the rulers that we have in this world now would base their governments, their kingdoms, mm-hmm on uh, love and righteousness, this would be a totally different world. I think I've said enough on that one. I think I, th- I think they're very good comments. Lynn, uh, uh, Jerry, you had a, a comment for us. Yeah, I was just listening to uh, what Lynn said. And indeed, um, I believe that this world needs stability and, and certainty. And it, in this world, we don't have that. But the reason why we can we can have confidence in God's rulership is exactly for that reason. He, his uh, reign, as it's been said, is established on mercy and justice and righteousness, sure. and that does give us the assurance. And how different it is in this world. We, we're forever holding our breath, wondering what's going to come next. 
Yes. You mentioned change of government, Lynn. Yeah. Well, you mm -hmm. never know what's you never know what's coming. Really, promises are made by the hour, and as they say, when a pol politician opens his mouth, you know he's lying. So, <laughs> but but when we read the scripture, we know that that's truth. Every word is truth. So that gives a dependability, a certainty that I think is so desperately lacking in this world. And praise God, yeah. we have that assurance. You know, we're not just it's not just uh, wishful thinking that we're dealing with here as a Christian. We have this, we have this certainty that we can live with. Mm. So okay. Important. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Joe. Well, it says here what we already read: the Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. And why are they rejoicing? Is, aren't they rejoicing because the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice? Now yes. imagine if we had an all-powerful God who was like the gods that you read earlier, you know, the Egyptian gods yes. or the pantheon yeah. of Rome, mm -hmm. Roman religion and the Greeks, where they were fractious, where they were fickle, where they you never knew what was coming your way, where they were more interested in their own affairs than what was happening. Um, and so... Isn't it pertinent that they rejoice because surely he is worthy of praise simply because he is a righteous and fair and equitable um, God? Imagine the opposite. If the opposite were true, if the other team were in power, wouldn't that be a disaster? Yeah. yeah. No, thank you, Joe. I just do want to put this one a little bit in the context because we talk about God being the king. Now, we have rulers, and it was mentioned here quite a bit about Solomon, for example, yes. and we look about as a wise man. But let's keep in mind this. Just quickly, my dear friend, uh, you can check this one in the book of Deuteronomies, if you like. Just a, a little thought here. What's God's advice to the leaders, to the rulers of this earth? Because God is the one who rules everything, but he He's the owner of everything. But when a ruler comes in, in place, he would like to get things. And yes. this is the advice. It says here, the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses for the Lord has told you. Why? Because the Lord will deliver you. You don't put your trust in your own power. And many people, they will do this yeah. under this sort of excuse. We want to have power because we want to control. We don't want to be controlled by others. But why not to allow God to be yeah. your king, yeah. as we talk about? I think this is important to keep in mind. No, thank you, Nick. That's a good thought. In Psalm 75, verses 4 to 7, which we won't read, um, it does actually mention uh, the boastful are admonished by the psalmist not to deal boastfully and the wicked do not speak with a stiff neck. Now, in Exodus 33.3 and Jeremiah 17.23 and also in the book of Acts, God's people are often referred to as stiff-necked. I wonder, Will, whether you'd just make a brief comment for us on what it means to be stiff-necked. Is it something a masseuse can fix up for us or... Uh, is it is it on an entirely different level to that? Yes. Uh, how do you describe a stiff neck? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, I, I was taking a look at um, what other translations say with regard to... Yes, I'm very interested in that. <clears throat> and uh, I just can't find it at present, but uh, it's, it would be a defiant sort of person, a person that is um, exalting themselves. Yes, that's about the best I can give it to, Brenton. Uh, um. Lynn? Well, my dad would uh, would have described them as pig-headed. <laughs> I like it. In other words, not willing to compromise, but just sticking to their own ideas and refusing to accept truth for what it is. Yeah, Lynn, can I, seeing you've said that, sorry, Denise, you had a thought for us. As human beings, we don't like to be told, do we? Yeah. You're a teacher, Denise. Have you found stiff-necked students? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, stiff-necked, it's uh, when you, you cannot turn easily uh, left and right, you know, to get uh, other opinions. Yes. Here. You just look f- uh, forward and you're going with your own, uh, what you see in yes. front of you. Uh, and yes. that's uh, sometimes dangerous. You need to uh, to look around to assess the situation, to get advice, and and then keep going. Okay. Just just before we move on, um, can I say this about stiff neck? Is it? And here's something for us to consider. We may not have time for all the all the uh, answers on it, but is a stiff neck person one who can't see the alternatives, or is a stiff neck person one who is not prepared to look at the alternatives and consider them? Maybe that's the thought that I'd like to leave on that one. So I think it's the latter. (laughs) You think it's the latter. Prior to the destruction of the wicked, there is an examination of their deeds. Now, this is talking about God as judge. And we have some references in Psalm 14, verse 2, and also Genesis. And in 1 Peter 4, 17, we also find mention that Judgment begins at the house of God. How does this affect our assurance of salvation? Would anyone like to comment on that? Then I'm going to read a comment from C.S. Lewis, which I found extremely interesting. Anyone got a thought on that one? Denise? Um, I'd like to read from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, about this issue of confidence. And it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we can have confidence in uh, Jesus as our judge, our redeemer, our our saviour, our recreator. He is the be-all and end-all. Yeah, Denise, that kind of summarises it very, very well. Um, I've got a comment here from C.S. Lewis that I only found recently. <laughs> it really blew me away. The ancient Jews, like ourselves, think of God's judgment in terms of an earthly court of justice. The difference is that the Christian pictures the case to be tried as a criminal case with himself in the dock. The Jew pictures it as a civil case with himself as the plaintiff. The one hopes for acquittal, or rather for pardon, 
the other hopes for a resounding triumph with heavy damages. Would anyone like to comment on that? It's quite a statement, isn't it, Denise? God is actually in the dock. Yeah. Satan is the one who's accused God of being unjust, unfair, and he's the one that's on trial, and we are, we are, I guess, um, corroborating evidence. Those who believe in him, who do the works that he has provided for us to do, we are examples of his faithfulness. Thank you, Denise. God remembers his covenant forever is something I've written in my notes here. And the failure on our part is our lack of faith in his promises. But I did note a, a comment from Psalm 119, great peace of they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. I am moving on now to a comment in summarizing our study for today. I'd like someone to read Galatians 3, 26 to 29 or uh, summarize it for us because I believe it's a very, very good statement to, to finish on. I wonder, Joe, if you would read Galatians 3, 26 to 29 or in your own words summarize um, basically what Paul is saying, particularly the last verse is particularly relevant, I think. I'll prefer to read it because it's... Yeah, no, no, words- that's fine. Yeah, no, read the whole thing. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wow. That's that's wonderful, isn't it? It certainly is. It's hardly worth making a comment on that. It's more a case of accepting it <laughs> rather than um, anything else. In summary, I've um, written here, God, the creator of all, the king and the judge of all the earth, has an everlasting covenant with us. The reign of sin and suffering will soon be at an end and the reign of righteousness and peace already felt in heaven and the unfallen worlds will be universal. Isn't it interesting that um, right at the end of the Bible, some of the very last words in the Bible, uh, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, who's been shown these glorious things of what's going to happen, he records what Christ says, surely I am coming quickly. And then you have the word after that, amen. And then it's almost like a pleading, even so. Come, Lord Jesus. That's found in Revelation 22, verse 20. Will, I wonder if you would uh, close with prayer for us, please. Certainly. I think it would be appropriate to end with the words of the psalm, Psalm 9. Sure. As a prayer. Let's pray together. O Lord, I will praise you with all my heart and tell everyone about the marvelous things you do. I will be glad, yes, filled with joy, because of you. I will sing your praises, O Lord God. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone, for your participation today. Indeed, uh, we could uh, go quite a bit uh, more here, because um, we now have a bit of a better picture 
uh, that God indeed uh, reigns. He's the creator. He's the king. He's the judge also. We are in good hands. Let's trust in God. Let's allow him to take care of all our needs and not be afraid to come to him. My dear friend listening today would love to have a book from us as a gift. And that's called what the Bible says about and to know a bit more about the sovereign Lord, the sovereign God. If you like this book, you just need to send us a text message with the code SABS3. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible study and add number three. The phone number is 048209-8883. We are going to continue. Next time we are going to look at the, the Lord hears and delivers. That will be a wonderful study. Until then, my dear friend, God be with you and know his voice and follow him. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus.